Blessed, Merry Christmas to all of you. What a joy it is for me to greet all of you who are present and those who are watching us all over the world. Everybody, let's greet them. Wave at them and say, Merry Christmas. Wonderful. You know, this Christmas is really special. Do you know why? Can you imagine December 25, and we are worshiping God together. Amen. Amazing. My daughter was talking to me. She lives in the States, and she said it is very sad in some parts of the States where they don't have worship service on Christmas Day. I said, really? Yeah. I said, Dad, I'm going to look for a church that will gather on Sunday. So I praise God. In CCF, we worship God on Christmas Day, especially it is Sunday. Amen? Praise God. Now, I want to share with you a picture of God's gift to us this Christmas. It is my 22nd granddaughter, Brianna Tanchi Pedro. Do you know when she was born? December 22. 2022. And she is my 22nd granddaughter. Amazing. Congratulations to Pedro. Where is Pedro? Cecilio. Yes. And where's my daughter? Of course, at home with a baby. I want to give you a short Christmas trivia test. All right. Let's see. Oh. Do you want to know how we celebrated the day before Christmas? I'll show you a picture of our family. You see, this is the Philippine section of our family. We have another U.S. section. Now, if they all come, our barangay will be complete. Okay? Now, Christmas trivia. You must shout the answer. Okay? Shout the answer. And uh, hopefully, we may or may not give you a prize. Okay? It depends on number of people getting the right answer. When was Jesus born? Very good. You don't know. Because I don't know also. It is not December 25, okay? Good. How many wise men went to see Jesus? Okay, wrong. Not three. The Bible doesn't tell you how many. So remove that from your mind. Three gifts does not mean three wise men. All right. How did Mary and Joseph, how did they ride to Bethlehem? Donkey? Sorry. Eh, wrong answer. We don't know. Okay. It could have been a Mercedes Benz. It could have been a Cadillac. It could have been. Uh, okay. So we don't know. They walk. Okay. Or so we don't know. When was Christmas, the word Christmas, when was it first used? This will, you, you will have a price. When was the word Christmas first used? Okay. In the year 1038 AD. Did you say that? See me later. Do you have a witness? Do you have a witness? Did he say the right answer? Tama ba talaga? Thou shalt not lie. 
Congratulations. All right. What is the best way to celebrate Christmas? That's why you are here. I'm going to teach you today. Okay, how should we celebrate Christmas? By the way, the word Christmas, what does it mean? Christmas. From the root word, Christ, and mass. Mass is from the Latin word, misa, celebration. So we celebrate Christ. What is so sad today, even politicians in the States do not even mention Christ. Very sad. You have been blessed. We live in a country where we can talk about Jesus, especially on Christmas Day. So, our series is Unwrapping God's Greatest Gift. Okay? Christmas is God's greatest gift for us. Let's begin by looking at Luke chapter 2. Remember, Pastor Marty read Luke chapter 2, verse 1 to 20. Am I correct? So, we will highlight a couple of those verses. But right now, I want to highlight Luke chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. Everybody, if you don't mind, read this with me, please. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, what do you notice? If somebody was to invent a Christmas story, they will never invent it this way. Why will the first announcement be given to shepherds? Shepherds are lowly people. They are socially outcast in the time of Jesus. They were not even allowed to testify in court because for them, they are not worthy. You know why they don't keep the Sabbath day? They have to be out there watching the flock 24-7. And they are always moving. So they are not trustworthy. But it's amazing. If you want to talk about inclusivity, what does it mean to include everybody? The Christmas story. God first appeared by this amazing announcement to shepherds. Continue reading. And an angel of the Lord, notice, the messenger of God, this is from God, Christmas is from God, appeared suddenly, stood before them, everybody read, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. Ladies and gentlemen, the glory of the Lord disappeared. If you read the Bible in the book of Ezekiel. It first appeared, if you study the Bible, when God appeared in His glory in the tabernacle, in the presence of God. When God is present, you have amazing glory. I cannot describe the light, whatever it is. That is God's glory. And then, slowly but surely, the Bible tells us because of the sin of Israel, the glory of the Lord left the temple. But then after 400 years, remember what my son shared last Sunday? Do you recall the messages we have on unwrapping Christmas? How do you experience God's best? In the life of Mary and Joseph, what did we learn? You must recognize God's grace. Remember? You must respond to God's grace. You must respond in obedience. Do you recall? And you must rejoice. You want to experience God's best, recognize His grace, recognize His word, His will for your life, respond properly. And then last Sunday, Peter Jr. talks about the importance of 
learning from John the Baptist. Remember, the messenger and the message. What can we learn about the John the Baptist? He points people to Jesus. Do you recall that? And then what is his message? Repent. Today, I want to share with you the most important message that the angel delivered to the shepherds, which is to be given to everybody. Let's read the next verse. What is that message? Everybody together. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. This is a command. It's in the present tense. Stop being afraid. Of course, in the presence of God, you will tremble. This is throughout the Bible. Moses and God, Isaiah and God, always in the presence of God. However, God will tell you, don't be afraid. I am for you. Everybody, look at this amazing message. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news. Now, before I tell you the good news, ladies and gentlemen, what are you afraid of? Today, what are you afraid of? You know, I made some research on what people are afraid of. Do you know what are the top fears of people? Just look at yourself. Tell your neighbor, what are you really afraid of right now? Just name one or two. What are you afraid of? Come on, be honest. What are you afraid of? For some people, especially COVID-19, they're afraid of getting sick. For some people, they're afraid of financial problems. They're afraid of their future. They're afraid of what will happen to their loved ones when they pass away. But in reality, all of the above is rooted on one thing. We're afraid of dying. No matter how brave you are, there is some kind of fear. What will happen when I die? What will happen to my loved ones? What will happen to my soul? What will really happen to me? My friend, the Christmas message is telling you today, do not be afraid. Can you turn to your neighbor, tell your neighbor, don't be afraid. Now, what will overcome fear? Well, this is what will overcome fear. You cannot fake it. You cannot pretend you're not afraid. Fear is real. Some people, they are, they are really fearful. Please read. I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I want to give you some lessons on Greek words. Two important words. The first phrase, good news. This word, good news, is a combination of the following Greek words. Let's look at that Greek words, do not good news, from the word, okay? Let's pronounce this together. Let's pretend we know Greek, okay? Let's pretend only. You means what? Good. You have the word eulogy. You, good. How many of you have the name Angelo? Angelo. All right. The word Angelo, Angelo, means what? To proclaim. So, good news is from the Greek word evangelizo. That's where you have the word evangelism. So, what is God's good news? That's where you have the word evangelism. What is the good news? Well, Let's learn another Greek phrase, great joy. Great joy is from two Greek words. First is mega, 
Now, when I use the word mega, what enters your mind? Mega mall. Okay. It makes my friend very happy, okay? Mega. Big. Super abundant. Mega. Kara. Kara is from the word grace. That's the literal rendering. Abundant grace. Super grace. So the way they combined the two words, they translated it as great joy. Because the resulting product of God's grace, super abundant grace, is joy. If you are not joyful in the presence of God, in where you are right now, you are not joyful. You are a sad person, a depressed person. I have good news for you. Hopefully, by the end of this service, you will learn to experience the great joy that God promised us. So what is Christmas? Can I tell you? It's called the greatest, everybody read them, our own simple definition of today's message, right? God's, together, God's greatest gift is good news that will bring you great joy because it solves our greatest need for forgiveness. What do I mean? Let us look at Luke chapter 2, all right? Let's look at Luke chapter 2 one more time. No, uh, verse 11, okay? Let's look at verse 11. Everybody read. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you Savior, who is Christ the Lord. I'm going to explain this later on. It's the suspense. It's the highlight of the message. The three titles of Jesus. Savior, Christ, Lord. How does that impact you? Are you now ready for today's message? Today's message is so simple. Christmas, good news, great joy about God's greatest gift. Why is it good news? I want you to learn three things about God. You can learn more. Three things about God during this Christmas. It's all about God, okay? God God created Christmas, invented Christmas, orchestrated Christmas, initiated Christmas. So three important things traits that I want you to learn about God. Number one, everybody say, God's sovereignty. Say that with me. God's sovereignty. Number two, God's faithfulness. And number three, God's greatest gift. I want to highlight these three. There are more. For example, under God's faithfulness, you will learn God's timing is always perfect. God always keeps His promises. However, why are you not joyful this Christmas? You need to understand the following. Number one, God's sovereignty. What does it mean? Well, do you want to know the meaning of the word sovereign? Okay, let's look at how that concept is used by the writer. Let's begin. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the census be taken out of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinus was governor of Syria. Our amazing historian, Dr. Luke, mentioned two names, Caesar Augustus and Quirinus. Why? It is to show us Christmas is real. It is historical. It is not a figment of imagination. Now, who is Caesar Augustus? Can anybody tell me? Who is Caesar Augustus? Quickly. How many of you like history? 
when his great-granduncle grand uncle was assassinated, Julius Caesar, who took over? Caesar Augustus. When Caesar Augustus took over in the year 27 BC, he became the most powerful, most successful first emperor of Rome. The government of Rome was changed from republic to the emperor. Absolute power. He controlled the whole army. In fact, this guy was probably the most successful emperor, the first Roman emperor. What is his name? Caesar Augustus. The word Augustus was given to him in the year around 27 AD. Why? To exalt him. It's like making him a god. That's Caesar Augustus. All right? Now, the Bible tells us he issued a decree. Now, when you just read the Bible, you will pass over these verses quickly. You will have no idea why is Saint Luke, why is the historian Luke writing about Caesar Augustus and a census and about the decree? What is so important? It is very important. You know why? Let's read the next verse. Everybody, everyone was on his way to register for the census. It's to his own city. Joseph went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary. In other words, Mary will be registered also. Now, it's surprising. Mary is a woman. Joseph was a man. But what is the purpose of the decree? Humanly speaking, the decree is used for taxation purposes. Remember, Caesar Augustus was developing a massive army, census to recruit how many men are able to fight. So, that's human purpose. But what is the divine purpose? The divine purpose, you begin to see that God is in control, even a pagan emperor, to accomplish his purpose. Somebody said, Caesar Augustus accomplished many things, okay? For example, Pax Romana, peace, road system. This guy built 50,000 miles of road. 50,000. To go from here to the States is around 6,000 plus miles. He built 50,000 miles. By the time, for the first 300 years, Rome built, believe it or not, 250,000 miles of road system. Why? Sure. The Roman emperor has his own ideas to connect cities to places, but God has a purpose. You know what's God's purpose by that decree? Because of this important word, Bethlehem. Because God is sovereign. And God made a prophecy that the coming Messiah has got to be born in Quezon City. Uh, not Quezon City. It has to be born in New York City. No, 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 no. It has to be born in Bethlehem. The word Bethlehem comes literally from the house 
of bread. Beth, house, Lehem, the house of bread, the source of life. And that is the city of David. Why? Because of this important word, Joseph. You see, God made a prophecy. For you to know who is going to be the Messiah, he must come from the descendant of David. But that Messiah has got to be born where? Bethlehem. So I want you to ask yourself now this question. Here was Mary, who was engaged. Now everybody, can you tell your neighbor, wake up, wake up, okay? So wake up, okay? Wake up your neighbor. Just, just nudge him. Okay, very good. Now, good. You know, God gave me amazing eyes, and I can see who are sleeping, who are not, all right? Now, listen to me. If you were Mary, if you were Joseph, are you happy because of this decree? Wow. They are living in Galilee, Nazareth, and now they have to go all the way down to Bethlehem. Now, be honest. Will you be happy or will you be sad? You see, friends, you must understand the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God does not always mean everything that happens to you will be nice. But God's purpose will be accomplished. Everyone was on his way to register. Now, it so happens, Mary and Joseph was from the family line of King David, and he had to go all the way to Bethlehem. Let me show you the map. Look at the map. You are now in Nazareth. This is the Galilee area. By the way, those of you who will go with us to Holy Land, you will notice from Galilee, you have to go down all the way to Bethlehem. That's around 150 kilometers. It's like you have to walk from here to Baguio. Now, I want you to imagine now, they don't have air-conditioned bus. None. And you are pregnant. Now, will you be complaining or no? Will you tell your husband, Honey, I'm pregnant. It's hard for me to travel. But you notice about Mary and Joseph. Joseph was a good leader. He obeys the law. When the law says you register, he was able to convince his wife. And Mary was a very submissive wife. Even though they are not yet married, but they're engaged. Engaged means what? Almost married. So, they went there. Now, read the next verse. What happened? This is what happened. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 2, while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. Underline the word completed. In other words, God's timing is amazing. You've got to understand, God is sovereign. He controls even pagan kings to accomplish his purpose. But God is faithful. He keeps his promises. The Messiah will have to be born in Bethlehem. Let's read. She gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in clothes, laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. No room. Friends, let me ask you a question. Think about this. If the decree came earlier, where will Jesus be born? How many of you are mothers? Raise your hand. Mothers, <laughs> you know, I appreciate mothers, okay, because I've, so, I've seen so many pregnancy and baby coming out. And I notice about when the baby will come out. You don't exactly know when. You know more or less, but you don't exactly know. My daughter never planned 
It will be December 22, 2022. Mary was pregnant. So, if the decree came earlier, where will Jesus be born? Where? Are you thinking? Are you thinking? You are staying in Galilee. So, you go down, you register, and you go back. So, where will the Messiah be born? Galilee. If the decree came later, where will Jesus be born? Answer? Tell your neighbor, Gisigna, Gisigna, wake up, wake up. Where will the Messiah be born? Galilee. Understand? Because the baby came out and the decree came. How long does it take for the decree to reach the ears of Joseph? How long? There's no internet. There's no CNN. There's no ABS-CBN. So, how would they know? Ah, my friend, this is the amazing thing about the sovereignty of God. Sometimes, a scholar tells us it takes months for a decree to reach a particular place. What I'm trying to say is simply this. God is in control. Over every area of your life, you may know it, you may not know it, but that's not the point. The point is God is sovereign. Please say that with me. God is sovereign. He is in control. Control to do what? God is in control to accomplish His purpose. God is faithful. When He promised something, He will do it. Because God's timing is perfect. Now, how many of you struggle with the idea that what's happening in your life today seems to be topsy-turvy? You don't know what's happening. I can just imagine Joseph and Mary. You know, Mary could have been saying, this is supposed to be the Messiah, Jesus. Why will I be born in a place where there's no room and the baby was born in a manger? Now, when I use the word manger, I want you to change your imagination. Manger literally means what? You want to see a picture of a manger? Okay, a manger looks like the following. This is a manger. This is where the animal eat. Okay, this is where they put grass, they put the food. So the baby Jesus was wrapped in clothes, placed in a manger. So that is a manger. Guys, God does not seem to be in control. Why would the baby Jesus be born in such an ordinary place? Well, that's something that tells me about the heart of God. God is saying the good news is for the rich and the poor, for everybody. And the Bible literally tells us the king of kings loves you so much, he was willing to be born in a manger, to become man. And not only that, the Bible tells us this God, Jesus, became man. And not just becoming a man. He suffered for you and for me. And eventually he was crucified for something he did not do. For what reason? But is the great news, the greatest gift is good news to solve our biggest problem. Let's continue reading. You know, when I say God is sovereign, let me just give you a quick theological definition of 
the importance of God fulfilling His word, all right? When God says something, He will do it. Now, look at the prophecy of Bethlehem. Let's look at Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Everybody read this together. Micah, Old Testament, translated into the Greek language 300 years before Christ was born. So this is an Old Testament prophecy. Written before Christ was born, translated into the Greek language, which Alexander the Great encountered. Understand? Now, let's read this together. As for you, Bethlehem, Ephrata, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Here is the prophecy that the coming ruler will be born in Bethlehem. Now, who is this coming ruler? His past. His past from long ago, from the days of eternity past. Exactly how the Bible describes Jesus. The Bible tells us in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Jesus existed before He was even born. Jesus as a man began 2,000 years ago. But Jesus as God, the Son of God, existed before time was created. But then, 2,000 years ago, to fulfill His promise, He took the form of a man. Now, when the Bible says God is sovereign, just a simple perspective, so you will learn to be happy and rejoicing and be at peace. Here is the definition of God's sovereignty. Okay, it is found in Isaiah 46, Daniel 4, uh, some, lots of Bible verses, but I want to share with you what is the meaning of the sovereignty of God. Number one, He is the most high, Lord of heaven and earth. Number two, subject to none, absolutely independent, accountable to none. What does that mean? God does not report to anybody, unlike you, unlike me. All of us are always reporting under somebody. Even the U.S. president is accountable to the Congress, accountable to the people. But God, look, subject to none, absolutely independent. You cannot force God to do anything. Accountable to none. God does as He pleases, only as He pleases. You cannot force God. Nobody forced God to send Jesus. Christmas was never extracted, forced by people to send a Savior. No, no. It's God's own free will. He is sovereign. None can hinder Him, including the Roman emperor, Caesar Augustus. Ladies and gentlemen, when God wants something done, it shall be done. Look at Proverbs 21, verse 1. Let's read this together. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. That's why I ask you to pray for our president. I ask you to pray for our leaders. I ask you to pray for your husbands. I ask you to pray for everybody because God can change the hearts of people. You see, many years ago, people prayed for me. And God changed my heart. Once upon a time, I was against Christianity. I never 
wanted to be a Christian. But God, in His sovereign grace, decided, ni Peter, natin Let us change this guy. Has God been touching your heart? You see, only God can change your heart. So, ladies and gentlemen, learn to pray more. Complain less. He turns wherever He wishes. Let me give you a quotation that I hope you will understand. When we say God is sovereign, God is faithful, it should bring you comfort. You know why? Look at what Charles Spurgeon, the famous preacher, he said the following. Everybody read. There is no attribute more comforting than the sovereignty of God. The world do not like the sovereignty of God. The secular world do not like God to be in control. The secular world wants God to be a Santa Claus. They don't mind God being a provider. They don't mind God being a bestower of blessings. But to say that God is king, he is sovereign, that he has every right to do as he pleases, when he pleases, without asking your permission, that is something the world does not like. But you know what? To me, it's a great comfort. Why? Under the most adverse circumstances, in the most severe trials, they believe that sovereignty has ordained their afflictions, and sovereignty overrules them, and sovereignty will sanctify them all. No attribute more humbling for us to accept than God is sovereign, and we are responsible to Him. Friend, this has comforted my life. When bad things happen to our family, and many of you know the story, when bad things happen to our family business, you all know the story. But you know what? God reminded us, reminded me, I'm in control. I will trust Him. I, my friend was telling me what happened to him. I remember this friend of mine, almost 30 years ago, he gave his life to Jesus. And when he gave his life to Jesus, he had ups and downs, business problem, family problem. And this is what happened. When his father died, the father owned billions of properties, Makati, Manila. So there was a problem in the family. Who gets what? But my friend, being a child of God, being a follower of Jesus, has been transformed. He's no longer grabbing. He's willing to let go. So he was deceived by one of the brothers who took all the nice property because he did not want to fight. He said, you know, Peter, they gave me provincial properties, property that does not have much value. And properties that were mortgaged. So I said, what did you do? Well, because I've been in touch with this brother of mine. He loved the Lord. He kept serving the Lord. Would you believe it? A few weeks ago, I bumped into him again. And I said, what's happening? He said, Peter, you won't believe this. I said, what? And he smiled. He said, Peter, the property that was given to me, that seems worthless, he said, the property prices jump up so much. And he whispered, I am now a billionaire. Billionaire. Hindi lang millionaire. Everybody say the word, billionaire. In God's timing, 
Is God sovereign, yes or no? And I said, what happened to your brother? You know, the brother lost a lot of those precious properties. You see, my friend, the blessing upon your life, you must learn to trust God. Because God is faithful. What do we mean, God is faithful? The idea of faithfulness means God is completely dependable. All right? Completely dependable. For example, look at Numbers 23, verse 19. Let's read that together. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, will he not do it? Has he spoken, will he not make good? So to understand the faithfulness of God, you now contrast that with the faithfulness of men. You see, men, sorry, but the truth is, many men, I'm not saying women are exempted, but many men are not faithful. I've seen this in marriages. Many couples, now I will include the women, we make promises. I'll be faithful in good times, in bad times. I will not leave you. I will not desert you. Those are nice promises. But I can almost predict, if I were to ask you to raise your hand, more than 50% of you will raise your hand that your family has been broken in the past. I've seen many CCFers. My heart goes out for you. I look at your past broken homes. Why? Because your parents did not keep their vows. They separated, they divorced. But God is different. When God gives you a promise, listen to me. He will keep his word. That's the beauty of God. Amen? Is God faithful? Yes, God is very faithful. For example, when I say God is very faithful, all right? Here are examples of God's promises. I'll give you seven. Okay, that has to do with Jesus. These are God's promises. God says, I promise you a Savior. All right, in the book of Genesis chapter 3. A Savior would be a human. The seed of a woman, not an angel. God made a promise to Adam. God made a promise to Abraham. In your seed, the Messiah will come. So, the Messiah will be Jewish. God made a promise to Jacob, the one of your descendants, especially the tribe of Judah, the Messiah will come from. God kept his word because Judah, after Judah, you have the family of David. So God made a promise that the Messiah will come from the family line of David, except there's a problem. God made a curse. The curse is to the descendant of David, Jeconiah. What is that curse? Look at God's predicament. David, the future Messiah, will come from your seed. But then one of the descendants of David, the king, was Jeconiah. And God says, because of your sin, not one of your descendants will ever sit on the throne again. That's a problem. I promise to David. How will God fulfill his commitment to David and his curse to Jeconiah? I want to show you 
the amazing accuracy of the Word of God. Let's look at the verse referring to 2 Samuel and Jeremiah. 2 Samuel, God's promise to David. When your days are complete and you die with your fathers, I will raise up a descendant after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Scholars call this the Davidic covenant. God made a unilateral promise to David. The Messiah will come from your seed. His kingdom will be forever. Wow, how can that ever happen? And then, years later, one of the descendants of David, King Jeconiah, a problematic boy. Thus says the Lord in Jeremiah, when write this man childless, King Jeconiah, a man who will not prosper in his days, for no man of his descendants will prosper sitting on the throne of David or ruling over Judah. Do you see that predicament? God promised David the Messiah will come from your family line. At the same time, the kingly line of David, Jeconiah, God made a curse. So how was that fulfilled? All right, I want you to look at the genealogy of Jesus. How when God says something, he will do it. When God makes a curse, it shall be done. When God gives you a warning, you better listen. Because the good and the bad will happen. So take God's faithfulness seriously. He keeps his word. In the genealogy of Jesus, in Luke chapter 3, notice the son of Nathan, the son of David. Suddenly, the line of David is split into two, Nathan and Solomon. Matthew chapter 1 verse 6, David was the father of Solomon. You see, Matthew chapter 1 described the kingly line of Jesus. And Matthew chapter 1 talks about Joseph. However, in Luke chapter 2, the genealogy is to Mary. But if you just read the Bible, you will not notice it. So, both Mary and Joseph were descendants of King David. One from Solomon, the kingly line, Joseph. But Joseph was not the blood father of David. He was only the adopted father. Mary was the blood mother of Jesus because God promised David. You see what I'm saying now? So you have the son of Nathan, the son of David. This is the bloodline of Mary. The bloodline of Jesus is the kingly line, but not bloodline. It's the kingly line. Matthew. Let's go back to that prophecy again. So, all the seven prophecies, I want you to notice the Messiah will be born of a virgin. That's Mary. Born in Bethlehem, Micah. Do you know this famous scientist? How many of you have heard of Professor Stone, Stoner? This guy was a mathematician. He calculated all of these prophecies. According to him, even just seven or eight prophecies. 
to be fulfilled in the life of one person is statistically impossible. What does he mean? How many of you play dice? You play dice? Many Chinese play dice. Tiong Chu. Do you know how to play dice? All right. A dice has how many sides? Six. So if I have one dice, what is the probability that the number six will appear? One dice, I roll it. It has six sides. So prob probability, how many times should I roll before I get six? <clears throat> wake up now, please wake up, wake up. Okay, this is now a course on science and statistics. If you have one dice, six sides, and you roll it, wait, I'm sorry. Is there such a dice that has six sides? Yes or no? Yes, right? One, two, three, four, five, six. Yes. So what is the probability? One out of six. Now, I want you to roll two dice. Two dice. And both six must appear. What's the probability? A bit harder. Now three dice. Four dice. What happened to Jesus is statistically impossible. Why? Example, to be born in Bethlehem. How many hundreds of thousands of cities were there at the time of Jesus? But of all the place, it has to be Bethlehem. You know, he computed. He said, it is like the city of Texas, the state of Texas. Do you know how big the state of Texas is? He said, you imagine the state of Texas with two feet of coins. Coins, okay? One dollar coin. And you put an X mark in one of the coins. And you put that in the state of Texas, two feet thick of coins. And then you put a mark, X, and put it right somewhere in the state of Texas. And then you ride the helicopter. And you tell the helicopter to bring you down any place. The first coin you pick up must be the coin Mark X. Now, what is the probability? Impossible, yes? Unless God is involved. Do you know how big the state of Texas is? It's bigger than Luzon. Now, put, imagine Luzon, two feet of coin. From here all the way to Apari. And then you put an X mark. And then you blindfold somebody, blindfold the person, drop him in the middle of the zone. Okay, the first coin you pick up. My friend, is God in control? Yes or no? Yes. Number two, is God faithful? When he says something, he will do it. Can I share with you, just to comfort all of you? I don't know about you guys, but I want you to hear the testimony of a brother and a sister to show us God's faithfulness and God's sovereignty. All right, let's welcome our brother, please come, Micah, Attorney Micah and Madame Myrin. Please come, share. In the middle of 2022, I asked my wife, Miran, to take me to the emergency room because the backache I had been nursing for months had suddenly become so painful that I could hardly walk. My doctor said that an infection had spread through my gut, punching holes in my intestines. I was told that the operation I needed would take weeks of recovery. As a breadwinner who runs a solo practice law office, I worried about how I could get work done. I feared not being able to provide, pay the bills, and put food on the table. 
my wife and I started praying for the Lord to please stand in the gap because of the uncertainties and things that are out of our control during my long hospital confinement. By the time Micah finally had his first major operation, I was so exhausted from overthinking and all the adulting required of me. I called out to the Lord, poured and cried out my heart to Him each day. When Micah's first operation failed, we were mentally, physically, financially, emotionally unprepared for another major operation. Our doctors told us that we could wait for two weeks to have his reconnected colon heal, although there was only a 10% chance of it healing. After two weeks of praying and waiting, the doctor said Micah needs to undergo another operation. I never asked anyone for financial assistance. Instead, I brought it to the Lord, and He made sure that our bills were timely paid and we did not go into debt. As people learned of our situation, they started helping. Some sent financial help, daily food, toys, and art materials for our three young kids, and even offers to babysit our children. Messages of encouragement and prayers sent our way strengthened us. Seeing how the Lord was moving mightily to meet our needs, Micah told me, that his late grandmother always loved to say, I've never seen anyone who trusted in the Lord who had to beg, which was her take on Psalm 37, 25. Miren was my God's best when I married her, but it was as if she had become my God's better than ever before, making up for what I lacked in my time of illness. She divided her time between attending to me in the hospital and seeing to the children's homeschooling and daily needs. She also managed our finances and coordinated with clients so that the stress wouldn't make me any sicker. I was happy to let her do so since I had already felt the first signs of depression feeding off my total helplessness. I remember asking the Lord repeatedly, what had I done to deserve such a fate? However, God didn't let me wallow in hopelessness as He let me know through Miranda that family, Friends, churchmates, and clients were reaching out to send all kinds of assistance. Our family never lacked anything it needed. There were even several clients who advanced a year's worth of retainer fees, which I could never assure them I would be able to meet with legal services. God turned my worry into a form of embarrassment as it took more humility than I thought I possessed to accept this unprecedented outpouring of kindness. Micah's second major operation failed as well. And this time around, his immune system weakened rapidly. He started showing signs of sepsis. Unable to do much more for Micah, our surgeon referred us to a specialist in another hospital who was reluctant to take the case because of its complexity. The Lord, however, already knew what was needed. Micah's childhood friend happened to know the doctor and helped us connect with him. The third surgery went well, and we thought the worst was over. However, Micah suffered another, a sudden cardiac arrest because of a fungal infection. It was nothing short of God's providence that I was a minute from leaving the room when Micah collapsed. And when I ran out to the hall to ask for help, his medical team just finished rounds and were nearby. Doctors and medical staff frantically worked on him, bringing him back for 26 minutes and gave him a total of 11 epinephrine injections. We were later told that this is nothing short of a miracle as they normally only count six minutes without a heartbeat for a person to be able to survive an arrest. At that time, I was desperately trying to hold on to Micah because I knew in my heart 
that there are things that the Lord still wants us to accomplish for Him. I prayed out loud to Jesus in a room full of people leading up to the corridor of the hospital. Have mercy on your humble servant. We will go wherever you want us to go as a family. It was after I said those words aloud that the team detected a faint heartbeat. Our doctor himself later told our family that he noticed at the time that I started praying out loud, Micah's heart started beating again. When I woke up in the ICU, I had no idea why I had been moved to a different ward and why I was surrounded by tons of life support equipment. Miren tried to explain everything that had happened, but I couldn't believe it. After all, shouldn't I be dead if my heart stopped for nearly half an hour? The medications I was taking still kept me in a daze, but I continued to ask the Lord to speak to my heart through everything that was happening. Although I was thankful that Micah had survived, the heart attack meant a big spike in our medical expenses. From the piling of bills that needed to be paid, to the numerous calls I get from his doctors about his situation, to Micah's clients following up with me, I started to get emotionally and spiritually weak. A couple of days after Micah was moved to the ICU, I remember breaking down and telling Jesus I couldn't bear much more. God gave me an updraft by reminding me of Isaiah 40, 31. But those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. After that day, I started receiving more good news on Micah's health. His doctors would call him the miracle boy because of his recovery. Indeed, the Lord is good and nothing is impossible for him. Miren had been told that if I survived, I would either need dialysis for the rest of my life at best or be a little more than a vegetable at worst. When the doctors told us that there were no serious complications from my cardiac arrest, we all realized that God had done something extraordinary. Again, I asked the Lord to speak to me about why He had allowed this to happen, not out of bitterness or confusion, but because I was beginning to realize that He had caused a miracle to happen. And God never does miracles without a good purpose for them. After we were finally sent home, God showed me his kindness by preventing any untoward effects on cases I was handling. There were even several victories thrown in, which my clients and I took to mean that the Lord was telling us that he was in charge and Lord over even the smallest details of my life. As I regained my strength, Miren gradually updated me on our finances, which were still healthy, And she told me all about the people who had helped us in so many ways. Our hearts can only humbly appreciate such grace and God to repay what we never can. As we stand before you today celebrating the day that God sent us Jesus to conquer death and despair, I'm no longer asking God, what did I do to deserve this? Instead, we ask, what next, Lord? We know you will be there for us no matter what. My family and I firmly believe that when God allows life to take sudden, unexpected turns, it is never outside of His good plan for His children. A Christ-filled Christmas to everyone. Praise God. Praise God. You know, if you hear His story, it's really unbelievable. But the point is this. When you were very down, did you ever been tempted to think God has forsaken you? You know, it's hard for them to answer because you know why? Sometimes when you are down, you feel like God is far away. Yes? But God is always near. 
And I praise God, their disciples are here with us also. Thea, Del, can you just please stand up? All right. Let's, you know, Thea and Del. And uh, why don't we all pray for them and Thea and Del? Okay, everybody, let's raise your right hand if you don't mind. Father God in heaven, I just praise you and thank you for Micah, for Miren, for all that you have done in their lives, for the miraculous healing and for the encouragement, Lord, that you are faithful. That when the doctor says it's impossible, you can do the impossible. And I pray that they continue to become faithful, being a small group leader, to disciple others, and thank you for using them to serve faithfully. And I also thank you for Thea and Dale. Thank you for their faithfulness in discipling this couple. I now pray for all of these faithful men and women who are serving you, that you grant them a special, blessed, Merry Christmas to their family and to their ministry. In Jesus' name we all pray, amen and amen. God bless you, brother. You know, many times we fail to understand what the Bible is telling us when it comes to God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness is so true that the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, if we are faithless, He remains faithful. You know, many times I am not faithful, but God is faithful. Do you realize in God's faithfulness, He may cause things that you don't like to happen to you? Psalm 119, verse 75. God is sovereign. I'm sure Mary and Joseph did not enjoy that long, long walk or long ride, whatever it is. Let's read this together. I know, O Lord, that you, that your judgments are right, and that, everybody read, in faithfulness, you have afflicted me. I don't always understand why people get sick, why people have problems, but one thing I know, God is committed to your sanctification. God is committed for you to become a better person. And I always say this again and again. God will sacrifice your physical comfort for the sake of your spiritual character. Think about it. Some of you are having a problem now. This Christmas, I hope will remind you that God is sovereign. God is in control, and God is faithful. He wants what's good for you. You may not see it, but God will keep His promises. Question. Are there any promises you are claiming? Can I tell you some of the promises I'm claiming? For example, I tell business people, Matthew 6.33. Can you read that with me? Not read. Memorize it with me. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all, all of these things, food, clothing, shelter, all your basic needs, God says, I will provide. So don't worry. God is saying, don't worry. Don't be afraid. Romans 8.28. Have you memorized Romans 8.28? Okay, let's make sure you read this properly and memorize it together with me. We know God causes all things to work together for good. For good. To those who love God. To those who are called according to His purpose. Notice the promise of God. Everything that happens to you. God causes all things to work together for good. Condition to those who love him, to those who are called according to his 
purpose. You know, I always tell people, you know, years ago, I remember when we went to the Holy Land and the Middle East, somebody was selling carpets, right? Now, this is not the exact carpet I want to show you, but I want to show you something. Is this carpet beautiful or no? Nice or no? Honestly, when I look at this kind of carpet, I said, it's so ugly. And then the owner said, sir, you're looking it at the wrong side. Oh, oh, wrong side. Okay. Is this nicer? You know, when you look at life, many times you look at it on the wrong side. You got to see it at the right side. God's perspective, not your perspective. See, right now, what's happening to you may be bad. It may not be nice. Problem of my parents, broken homes. How come I have all kinds of problems? Health problems, physical problems. But then, someday, I guarantee you, when you go to heaven and you look back, what will you see? You see, friends? My faith is not in circumstances. I've gone through life. I've seen all kinds of problems. I've gone through all kinds of problems. Ups and downs. But as I look back at what has happened to me, and someday, when I reach heaven, I will guarantee you one thing. It's going to be beautiful. Amen? That is the message of Christmas. But you will never experience the true meaning of Christmas until you understand what I promised to tell you about God's greatest gift. You know, God gave Jesus three titles. Look at Luke 2, verse 10 and 11. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. Notice, great joy for all the people. Mega kara, mega grace. Today, today, historical. In the city of David, there has been born for you. Okay, what are the three titles of Jesus? Let's look at it. One is called Savior, Christ the Lord. All right. What does it mean? Savior is from the Greek word soter. Soter means what? I want you to look at this chart so that it's very easy for you. Jesus is Savior. Rescuer. Now, why did God give us a Savior? You will never appreciate God's gift until you understand your problem. A Savior means what? We need saving. We have a problem. Notice the next word. Christ. Not just any ordinary Savior. It is the promised Messiah. The word Christ is literally means what? In the Hebrew word, Messiah. Messiah. Anointed one. The chosen one of God. Anybody can claim to be the Messiah. But how many are from the seed of David? Abraham, born in Bethlehem. Huh? Only one. Jesus. And... Lord. Now, the word Lord, in the Greek language, some people will say, well, it is, simply means you are the master. No, no, no. In the Bible, that Greek word, Lord, is curious. You have another word for Lord, despot. But in Jesus, that word curious was used to translate the Old Testament, referring to Yahweh. So this word curious 
used in the New Testament is also used to translate the Old Testament. God, his name is Kyrios. In other words, Jesus is not just a man. He is what? He is God. The divinity of our Savior is God's Son, God himself. My friend, you will never appreciate God's gift until you know why you need a Savior. Can I tell you why you need a Savior? Will you be excited? I want you to imagine you are A and your friend is B. Okay? A and B, and I'm C. I discovered a cure for cancer. Example only. I discovered a cure for cancer. But you are A. You don't have cancer. Number two, you don't even know what is cancer. But B, B has cancer. B knows he's dying. And here I am. Hey, I discovered a cure for cancer. Now, who will be more excited, A or B? B. Why? He knows his problem. Friends, some people today don't care about Jesus, Christmas, because they don't understand their problem. Do you know what's our problem? We have a virus. It's sin. It's terminal. It's like cancer. You are doomed. You will surely die. Let me give you some verses so that you will know why you need to understand Christmas, a Messiah, why you need a Savior. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, the Bible says, everybody read, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everybody, the word sin means what? Self-will against the will of God. In Isaiah chapter 53, the Bible is very emphatic. What is sin? All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Everybody read, each of us has turned to his own way. So what is sin? Look at me. Sin is self-will against the will of God. It's called rebellion against God. Every time you disobey the Ten Commandments, you know what you are saying? I don't care. I am my boss. All of us have sinned. What's wrong with sin? Well, you will not appreciate you need a Savior until you know the consequences of sin. Let's read the next verse. Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. Now, let's talk about the wages of sin is death. I memorized this in Tagalog. In Tagalog. Ang kabayaran ng kasalanan ay kamatayan. Now, the Bible talks about two kinds of death. People don't understand this. For sure, you will die. Hebrews 9, 27. Let's read that together. Hebrews 9, 27. It is appointed unto men to die how many times? Once. After this, judgment. That's called physical death. The word death in the Greek language does not mean cessation of life. It does not mean cessation of activities. No, no, no. The word death simply means separation. When you die physically, your body is separated from your soul. Your spirit lives. So you go to a casket, you go to a morgue, you see the body, but the spirit is no longer there. That's physical death. What is spiritual death? The Bible talks about another kind of death. Example. Let's read. The book of Revelation. Together, everybody. The sea gave up the dead which were in it. Death, Hades, gave up the dead which were in them. They were judged, everyone according to their deeds. Remember judgment. After you die, judgment. You don't cease to exist. You still exist. Except what is physical, what is spiritual death? 
Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, which is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. A spiritual death is when you are separated eternally from the very presence of God. Physical death, when your spirit is separated from your body. A spiritual death, when you are eternally separated from God. And that place is called the lake of fire. It is so horrible. Revelation chapter 21 repeats it. Let's read this together. Everybody read. Cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderous. Everybody read. Immoral person, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. By the way, how many of you have lied? Raise your hands. Higher, higher. We problem tayo. All liars. What does it say? And all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. The second death. Friends, why am I sharing this with you? You know, with all my heart, I care for people. With all my heart, I really believe there are only two places where you will go after you die. God is faithful. When he gives a warning, you better listen. For example, this warning is repeated again and again, even in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I want you to read this. What does it mean? Second death. Everybody read. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. In other words, don't fool yourself. Guys, in my experience, you know, when people don't like something, when they don't like what the Bible is saying, these are the options. Number one, they just deceive themselves. They, they just deny it. They don't want to think about it. That's one option. You can deny it. It's up to you. You can deceive yourself. It's up to you. Or you can delay your own action. Well, let me think about it. But you know what? Look at the warning. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, idolaters, louder, adulterers, effeminate, nor louder, homosexuals. I'm not the one saying it. I'm not being politically correct. I'm just being politically honest. The Bible says, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers. Everybody read, will inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. The good news is the next verse. Look at the good news. Such were some of you. You know, I look at my life. I am dead. I am guilty of sin. But such were some of you. But, everybody read, but you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified. Declared not guilty. Wow! How can that be? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. My friend, Christmas is God's amazing gift.
You can believe it, accept it, or don't do anything about it. The choice is yours. And that's why, as we close, I'd like you to learn from the shepherd. Do you know how, what the shepherd did? Let's look at what the shepherd did. The Bible tells us the most amazing thing happened. All right? Let's read this. When the angels had gone away from, the, from them into the heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. You see, when you believe, you will take action. To believe and not to take action is not yet to believe. The shepherds believed and they took action. Read the next verse. They came in a hurry. Notice, once you realize the good news, you prioritize it. And found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. The shepherds were the first evangelists. They repeated the story. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And what is the sign? You'll see a baby wrapped in a manger. Most babies are not placed in a manger except this Messiah. Wow. Read the next verse. All who heard it wondered at the things which were taught them by the shepherds. But Mary, I love Mary. Mary treasured these things. She pondered it. She thought about it. The shepherds went back glorifying God Praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. What happened to the shepherds? They evangelized, and what, what, what happened? Did they experience joy? Did they experience peace? Friends, are you going to be like the shepherds? Or will you be like the innkeeper? You know the innkeeper? No room. Why no room? Can I tell you something? If the innkeeper knew that that baby is going to be the king of kings, do you think the innkeeper will find a room? Yes or no? Friends, how you celebrate Christmas tells me, reveals to me your knowledge of who Jesus is. If you consider Jesus just an ordinary man, yes, you'll have no room for him. You'll be busy with your activities. You will do business as usual. But if you believe in your heart that God gave us the greatest gift, none other than the Son of God, the one who loves you, I guarantee you, you will have room and you will not be like the innkeeper. What will you do this Christmas? Will you accept God's gift? To accept God's gift, you must recognize Jesus, not just Savior. But Lord. Lord means what? The King of Kings. Absolute surrender. Absolute ownership of everything. Jesus, our Savior, is going to come again. God gives a promise, He will keep it. He came the first time as Savior. 
he promised his coming again to reward and to judge you and to judge me. Are you ready for Jesus? Let's bow our heads and pray. If you are not ready to meet Jesus, you have never understood that you have a big problem, I have a big problem, you need Jesus, and you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, will you raise your hands today? Praise God. Anybody else? Today you finally understand. Okay, you understood today that Jesus is your Savior. That, no, that you want Jesus to be your Savior. And you want to pray this prayer with me. The prayer of surrendering your life to be sure you have eternal life. Will you raise your hands higher? I want to give you this chance, yes. Higher, I want to pray for you. You know why? The Bible tells us if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. But you got to confess him with your mouth as Lord. Don't be ashamed. I want to give you guys a chance. I want to pray for you. All right? Those of you with your hands raised up, you pray this prayer with me. Okay? Wherever you are, you pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner. I need you. I admit that without you, I can never go to heaven. I accept you today. I receive your gift. Lord, the greatest gift, which is your son, Jesus. Jesus Christ, come into my heart. Come into my life. Today, I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. Make this Christmas meaningful to me. Lord Jesus, I thank you for coming and for dying on the cross to pay for all of my sins. Thank you, Jesus, that you paid the full penalty of my sins. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Now, to those of you who have Jesus already, I want you to go and tell others. You know why you should tell others? If you really believe Jesus is the way, you should not keep that to yourself. This is the best time to talk about Jesus. Nobody will get angry at you. You know why? It is the reason of Christmas. So will you commit to tell others about Jesus? Praise God. Let me close with this blessing for all of you, all right? Let's all stand up as I pray a blessing for all of you. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for this message that you want us to share the good news. Lord, the good news means what? Evangelism. You want us to share the good news because it will bring us great joy, the joy of Christmas. So, Lord, I pray for all of us that we will have the opportunity, we will have the privilege of sharing this amazing truth, amazing gospel, the good news with our friends, with our loved ones. Even right now, Lord, speak to our minds. Show us which person we need to share with. Reveal to us as we pray right now. Family members, friends, I don't know who, Lord, but can you please speak to all of your people right now? And help us to be obedient in sharing the good news. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen and amen. God bless.